Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Mysteries of the Paranormal. I'm your host, Allison. Here, I'll talk all about mythology, folklore, and cryptids. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mysteries of the Paranormal. Today, we're going to be talking about vampires. So, of course, nowadays, we know that it's said that they drink human blood, can't see themselves in mirrors. Oddly enough, vampires didn't start out with such clearly defined characteristics, and it is believed that they evolved from various traditional beliefs that were held throughout Europe that centered around fear that the dead ones buried could still harm the living. In European folklore, vampires are under-creatures that often visited loved ones and caused mischief or deaths in the neighborhoods in which they inhabited while they were alive. Vampires became popular in Western Europe after reports of an 18th century mass hysteria of pre-existing folklore in the South and East Europe. And some causes resulted in corpse being state and people being accused of vampirism. Local variants in southeastern Europe were also known by different names. In modern times, the vampires generally how old to be a fish's entity. Although ballast and similar vampiric creatures such as the chupacabra still persist in some cultures, early folk believe in vampires have sometimes described the ignorance of the body's process to decompose after death and help people in the pre-industrial societies. To try to rationalize these creating these figures of vampires to explain the mysteries of death, the single most prominent historical figure attached to the modern notion of vampirism is, of course, Vlad III otherwise known as Vlad the Impaler, Vlad ruled a small Eastern European kingdom from 1456 to 1462. He was known as Vlad the Impaler because he preferred to execute his enemies by impaling them with stakes. The Ottomans called him Lord Impaler after entering his kingdom and finding quote-unquote force of impaled victims. He belonged to something known as the Order of the Dragon, a group established to protect Christian Europe from the invading Ottoman Empire. Vlad's father, Vlad II, was well known. When Vlad III rose to power, he took the hereditary title and was known as Vlad Dracula, son of the dragon. The most famous vampire story in the world, and that's because Bram Stoker, when creating his famous creature of the night, Use Vlad III as his inspiration. The roots of most vampire stories can be traced back to superstition, 
found it in ancient cultures all across the world. Western Europe played host to countless stories of reanimated the dead, known as revenants. These were animated corpses that climbed out of the grave to torment the living. The word revenant comes from the Latin that means to come back. At first, it was just to terrorize the living, but as centuries passed, the legend became more specific. Revenants were said to return from the grave to torment their living relatives and neighbors. What was key was that the revenants were specific people. In Norse mythology, we can find tales of creatures known as drug, which means again walkers, who would return from the grave and cause havoc on the living. These creatures possessed superhuman strength, smelled of decay, and were even pretty ugly in appearance. They could enter the dreams of the living and were said to leave a tangible object near the sleeping person so that upon waking, their victims would know their dreams were more real than they feared. In the Middle Ages, having legends of some ancient creatures that spoke of creatures that not completely but have many similarities to vampires, along with many core characteristics. The Greek myth of Empusa, who was the daughter of Hecate. Empusa was said to lure young men at night and then feast on their blood before moving on to the main course, their flesh. Another Greek tale of Lamia, a mistress of Zeus, who becomes cursed by Zeus's wife, Hera, and doomed to haunt children devouring them. Stories of the undead creatures, or creatures that feed on the blood of the living, seem nearly as common as written language itself. Romango, which is known to attack nobles, drinking their blood and eating their nail clippings. Many Europeans use the myth as a way of explaining why a corpse wasn't decomposing at the normal expected rate. In Bulgaria, graves dating back more than 800 years have been opened revealing iron rods through the chest of skeletons. During this time, it wasn't unheard of to bury a person that truly wasn't dead. As a result, a fear of being buried alive swept Europe and the United States. This seemed like a rare occasion, but happened so often that people became paranoid about to look into solutions for it. In 1882, a medical doctor by the name of Adolf Gutsmuth who is one that was so paranoid about this that he created a safety coffin for himself and even tested it out by actually being buried and having meals delivered to him through a feeding tube. Dr. Timothy Smith of New Haven, Vermont, was also paranoid about this occurrence to the point that he created a crypt with a feeding tube that was positioned right over his face. Although he did pass away of natural causes, conveniently enough, this very crypt can still be visited to the day and is located in Evergreen Cemetery. There is a rare blood disorder that can be accounted for. It shares many similarities with vampire commonalities such as sensitivity light, garlic, as well as altered sleep patterns. A strong connection to vampires was also tuberculosis, although it didn't share any of the same characteristics. A story is Lena Mercy Brown. She was a young woman who lived in the later half of the 19th century. 
in a royal town of Exeter, Rhode Island. She played a major part in what is known as the Great New England Vampire Panic. The first person to die was Mercy's mother, Mary Eliza, in December of 1882. She fell victim to what was known as consumption. This is because as tuberculosis ravaged the body, the person would appear to waste away, being consumed by the illness. The following year, Mercy's sister would die at the age of 20 due to the same illness with the same symptoms. The people of Rhode Island started to wonder if the deaths were connected. A few years later, when Mercy's brother Edwin got ill, he packed up and moved across the country to Colorado Springs, which had a great reputation for healing properties of its dry climate. When he returned years later, he was alive, but not doing well, and in December of 1891, he took a turn for the worst. That was the same month that Mercy herself became ill. Her tuberculosis moved quickly, and by January of 1892, she had passed, and the people of the town were more worried than before. They suspected something supernatural. Close to this town was another town by the name of Newport, which is a seaside city known for the summer cottages of the wealthy folks with the pinnacle of education society. Edwin, at this time, was still alive, and someone got it in their mind that one of the women who died before him, either his mother or one of his sisters, was somehow draining him of his life from beyond the grave. The citizens were convinced that they wanted to dig all of them up. With the permission of the father, a group of men gathered in the cemetery on the morning of March 17th and began to dig up the bodies of the mother and his two sisters. They were looking for any evidence of any unnatural state, such as blood in the heart, blood around the mouth, or any other signs. The first body to be dug up was Mary Elise, who was the mother, was satisfactorily decomposed. So they automatically ruled her out. But it had also been 10 years since she had been buried. So her death state would have been normal. Mary Olive was also considered to be in a normal state of decomposition. Mary Olive was also considered to be in a normal state. She had also passed away 10 years before. When examining Mercy's body, which had not yet been buried because she had passed away in the middle of winter, rather instead of being in, stored in a stone building that was essentially a walk-in freezer, the citizens discovered that she was remarkably preserved. They then cut in her heart and liver within. They found a red clot blood, burned them in a nearby store, and then mixed the ashes with a tonic that was then given to her brother Edwin to drink. They were hoping that this would help him recover. Unfortunately, it did not work, and he died in less than two months. Unfortunately, this set up Mercy Brown to be the first American vampire, although, truth be told, she just wasn't. In the year of 1817, nearly a century before the accusation on Mercy, a Dartmouth College student named Frederick died of TB. His father was also worried that the young man would leave the grave and attack the family and had him buried up. Ransom's heart was cut out and burned on the blacksmith's forge. Henry David, 
tells of these types of events, mentioning one in his personal journal, which he had written in September 26th of 1859. The quote read, The savage and man is never quite eradicated. I have just read of a family in Vermont whose several of its members, having died of consumption, just burned the lungs, heart, and liver of the last deceased in order to prevent any more from having it, although there have been documents before this word spread of what happened to Mercy Brown. Ashley made it into a local newspaper called the New York World. Clipping of the article was found in the personal papers of London's strange manager after his death. His theater company had been touring America and in 1892, and he eventually found a story, inspiring so much that he even sat down years later and wrote a book. The name of that book was Dracula, which was then published in 1897. In Eastern Europe, vampires are animated corpses that rise from the grave to prey on the living. They usually attack living victims' necks to drink their blood. The corpse of suicide victims, criminals, or sorcerers have a possibility of becoming vampires, although in some traditions, even innocent victims and vampire attacks will become a vampire themselves. Babies that are born with teeth and a lot of hair or even a missing finger, toe, are also said to become vampire remedies of warding off vampire attacks or as famous as these creatures themselves, in order to kill a vampire, its head must be cut off, or drive a stake through its heart. Another possibility is to burn the corpse. To prevent them from coming back, you have to drive a hawthorn stake through the body to pin it to the ground. In Greece, vampires are believed to be the spirit of a deceased person who has not been properly mourned, and whose body was not given the proper rites, dust leaving the spirit lingering around the corpse to reanimate itself in as early as the 20th century. Corpses were examined after three years to make sure that the body was properly decayed, with the corpse was stiff and swollen like a quote-unquote drum. The person was believed to have become a vampire. In Chinese beliefs, vampires are called hopping corpses. The name comes from a practice detailed in Chinese folklore where a family who could not afford to travel to the place where their relative died to bring them back. The family would hire a priest to animate its body so that way it could hop back home for a proper burial. So that is all of my research for vampires. I do plan on revisiting this topic. Thank you for listening on this episode. If you would like to DM me about your experiences, just what's going on. You can also follow me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Mysteries of the Paranormal. You can also email me at mysteriesoftheparanormal at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your stories, what you all experience, and what you all want to hear. So until then, I will see you all next time. You can find this podcast at The Mysteries of the Paranormal on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to tune in every week for a brand new episode, wherever you get your podcast, 
or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Thank you.